The Truth News Network. Let me know if this sounds familiar. Communists building a base in Cuba. Missiles pointed at the United States. Where have we heard that before? In 1962, it was Soviet missiles, and John Kennedy put his foot down. In 2023, it's China. And where is the president's son getting much of his money? And are you hearing about this in the media? Well, in a world gone mad, you need a big, fat helping of the truth. And the master of the truth is TNN. The Truth News Network. And your master of ceremonies is Dan Newman. Well, we're going to try to put it all in perspective today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday, first day in November. And I don't know what it's like where you are, but here in the Deep South, I mean, Louisiana, Deep South, it's freaking cold. (laughs) And I don't do well in the cold. Now, I do a little better in the cold weather than I do when it's really hot. In the cold, you can wrap up and kind of take care of things. In the heat, especially in the South, when we get hot, we sweat. And I'm not talking about perspiration. I'm talking about real old-fashioned sweat. Well, where do we even get started today? Oh my gosh, so many things to talk to you about. So many things to bring to you in the way of factual information with which we are supposed to wait to get those things before we make our choices and decisions. So we've got a great plethora of sources you're going to hear from today. You're going to hear from the House Speaker, brand new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. Got some news, some inside scoop about Mike Johnson just because he's from here. And we know a little bit more than most people do about what happens when you're the House Speaker, what happens when you're second in the line of secession to the presidency. Not many of us, including me, thought much about that if and when Mike Johnson was elected to be House Speaker. But his life is changing, and America is changing. We have some big things looming on our horizon. And if we don't address them and understand before we get to them, you know, they're on their way, but they're not here yet. Fear will destroy us because the things that are not just possible now, many of are probable. Those are things that almost a hundred percent for sure. They're going to show up. We need to get on top of those things. I'm sure you agree. We don't want to live our lives, make our choices, our decisions based on fear. We're going to have to make some, some that many of us never have made. Maybe our parents did in World War II, maybe not. But whatever the issue is, we're living today. We're going to have to make these hard choices, and we have to make them. Many people today in the generation, three of them behind me, I'm 70 years old. So you look back at three generations behind me. They have no clue what it's like to live in a state of war or to be attacked by a foreign adversary. And I'm talking about people that weren't even around on 9-11. Everybody in the U.S., we assume if you're older, you assume Everybody breathing today knows everything that happened 
on that day back in 2001. Think about that. People don't even know it because they weren't breathing when 9-11, when the Twin Towers came down. How are they going to get facts? Well, thank you for coming here. This is one place where we make sure you get nothing but the facts. We're going to hear an explanation about what's happening regarding Hamas and what they are all about. That and a whole lot more as we dig in to TNN Live. Sit tight for about three minutes, okay?
when that song came out, it didn't sound quite like this. This is actually a updated version of the Chicago song by Chicago, 25 or 6 to 4. I tried for years when I was in radio to get somebody to explain to me what that song title meant, 25 or 6 to 4. And I got about maybe 50 different definitions of it. I don't think anybody knows for certain. Oh, well. Why don't we get right down to business? We got a bunch to deal with today. A lot of things happening over in the Middle East. I don't know if you heard or not, but those Yemeni rebels, the jihadists down in Yemeni, and they call them Houthis, Houthis, they formally declared war on Israel during the night last night. Now, what does that mean? You know, who cares about Yemen, right? Yemen's just a little bitty country over there in the Middle East. Most people didn't even know where it was. It's not so much to get all fretted up about the Houthi rebels. They're funded, they're backed, they're trained by Iran. So it's become apparent to everybody what's going on. Iran is being the proxy in military equipment, training, but the big thing is money for all these Islamist extremists around the Middle East. And the Houthis probably are taking one for the team as being the first ones to declare war on Israel. There's so many moving parts in this. Honestly, I don't believe the leaders of any of these nations know all the moving parts. And that's very potentially deadly for everybody, not just those in the Middle East. You think about the radicals and how they think. Look in your rearview mirror at how we have seen jihadists all over the world, but especially in that part of the world. They make a lot of decisions that aren't based on heavy thinking. It's emotional and just reaction rather than thinking through and having a plan. We're going to keep our eyes on all of that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. But there's something big looming in Congress. We've got a debt limit crisis once again. We only have a couple of weeks to get a budget put together or we're going to have to readdress money to spend. (laughs) Money to spend. And that's a really big deal right now. You know why? We found out yesterday our budget deficit, which, you know, Joe is bragging still today, bragging about how he has reduced our budget deficit. Well, somebody didn't tell Joe this, but our budget deficit as of yesterday, it soars 23% up, not down, 23% up, $1.7 trillion. That's how much we are in the hole for one year. And then add 30 more trillions to it, and that's how much we owe. Oh, my gosh. We've got to stop this hellacious government spending. And that's why many reasonably thinking Americans really like what they're hearing coming out of this Republican Party because they're making sure their plans are and what they're going to pass and send over to the Senate is a budget in which everything is paid for. In other words, they're not going to borrow any more money for the elements in this new budget that goes into place as soon as they can get it finished, which according to 
new House Speaker Mike Johnson, they're going to get three bills, three bills from the budget, get them passed in the House before the end of this week. That's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. This may not concern House Speaker Mike Johnson. Now, why do you say that, Dan? Well, he said he wants to pass those conservative spending bills, but the reason he really wants to get them passed is so it increases his ability to work with and gets uh, a little bit over on the people in the Senate. If he's got three passed by the House, that's going to put a lot of pressure on those on the other side to come to the table and work with them on putting something in place very quickly. Don't forget, Democrats control both the Senate and the White House. Republicans have just a very small majority in the House. So to even the odds, Johnson wants to pass all 12 spending bills. There are three he's trying to get done this week. They've already passed a few. They want to do it before the Senate completes its work so he can negotiate from a position of strength. The Speaker outlined that strategy, and it makes sense if you think it through, to fellow GOP members in an October 23rd letter just before he was elected Speaker, and they've passed five of the 12 spending bills so far. These three would put us really close to getting it done. That accounts for well over the ones they passed those five, well over 70% of the non-discretionary spending. Senate, by the way, just pointing it out, the Senate has passed none. Absolutely none. Now, I told you when we started the show, got some news about House Speaker Johnson. I know him. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you information about him. I'm going to be giving you as we move forward until you get a chance to see and hear him a bunch and kind of get a sense of where he is. I'm going to tell you about the ways and the things that he thinks that he's given to me over uh, a table over the phone through his years in Congress. And he's quite a guy. Kaylee McEnany, of all people, former former press secretary in the White House under former President Donald Trump. She went to the House Speaker's office and interviewed here, him there, and she asked some salient questions that I think everybody needs to hear. It tells a little bit more, not about the House Speaker personally, but about where his head is. And we're hearing all kinds of crazy stuff coming from people in every area of our society. And 99% of the things that we are hearing that are covered by places like MSNBC, they hate Republicans and they despise Mike Johnson. For starters, he's a Republican. And to top it all off, he is a Christian. Oh my gosh, one of those crazy people that believe in the Bible. They believe... The Bible's God's word. Huh. Are they going to be surprised someday? <laughs> I thought to start this part of the show, it'd be a good thing for you to hear what Kaylee had to talk to House Speaker Johnson about and his answers. It's better for you to hear him give these answers than it is for us to tell you about the answers. Didn't take them long. The liberal media now launching their first jabs at the newly minted House Speaker, Mike Johnson. 
But many of those attacks appear to center on his Christian faith. They are particularly perturbed by that. Just listen to this shocking comparison from Bill Maher. When I was reading about this horrible shooting in Maine, uh, and we don't know much about the guy yet, but apparently he heard voices. And I thought, is he that different than Mike Johnson? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, degree, yes, but... It's thinner than you think. Unbelievable. Now, you'd expect that from Bill Maher, but it's a little more surprising when the former White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, says this. The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview. It is his worldview. In fact, during his first speech in his new job, Johnson suggested that his election as speaker was an act of God. Talk about a bit of a humble brag there. His views on policy are essentially what you'd expect from a religious fundamentalist. They're more divisive than they are divine. A religious fundamentalist. Tell us how you really feel. I got the chance to sit down with Speaker Mike Johnson for a one-on-one interview at the Capitol. We talked about these attacks on his faith, the political divides within America, and the House aid package for Israel. Here's what he had to say. You know, I come from a Christian worldview. I was very vocal about that as White House press secretary. And perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised, but media wasn't always so friendly to someone with a Judeo-Christian worldview. And in your case, some of the things that have been said, Politico interviewed a historian about your worldview, and this historian said you're a Christian nationalist. It comes from that of Christian supremacy. But what I was really surprised by is Jen Psaki, a White House press secretary herself, typically would be measured with her words, I would think. But in this case, she went so far as to call you a Christian fundamentalist. What do you think when you hear that? Um, Look, there are entire industries that are built to take down uh, public leaders, effective political leaders like like me. Um, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, it comes with the territory. It doesn't bother me at all. I just wish they would get to know me. Um, I'm not trying to establish uh, Christianity as the national religion or something. That's not what this is about at all. If you truly believe in the Bible's commands and you, you seek to follow those, it is impossible to be a hateful person. Because the greatest command in the Bible is that you love God with everything you have and you love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I want to highlight, and, and this is truly outrageous, some of these things that have been said, but I'm just very curious about, to your point, a faith that is based on love. That is Jesus. Christ, that was what he lived for, um, can be characterized in such a way. The Daily Beast called you a Christo-fascist. That is the first I've ever heard that term. Yeah, well. They said you're the most extreme example of a dangerously empowered religious fanatic. But here's the line that really stood out to me. They go on to say that your desire to institutionalize your faith is the way of the Taliban and the mullahs in Iran. And then Bill Maher, who we know is not a similar worldview as ours, he went so far as to bring up the main shooter. And he said, we don't know much about the guy yet, but apparently he heard voices. And I thought, is he different than Mike Johnson? I mean, degree, yes, but it's thinner than you'd think. How, what is it like to be compared to the Mullahs of Iran, the Taliban, and the main shooter? It's just disgusting. I mean, that is absurd. Of course, our religion is based on love and acceptance. So to compare that worldview with the Taliban who seek to destroy their enemies or with, you know, some deranged shooter who murders people is absolutely outrageous. And I think everyone who follows and believes in a Judeo-Christian worldview should be 
just terribly offended by that. I'm okay, I'll take the arrows. I understand it comes with leadership, and when you step into the fray, that's what you take. And, but but what, what really hurts me is that it, it really is a statement about everyone who believes yes. in this, that, that the country was built upon. Our Judeo-Christian foundation is the heritage of our country. How do we get to this place, and get out of this place, rather, where people are just viewing the other side as the enemy? I mean, look, our enemy is like Hamas and terrorists and tyrants who want to do great harm to our country. Someone who's on the other side of the aisle is, is a fellow elected representative of the greatest deliberative body in the world. And they should be treated as such. And even if they have crazy ideas sometimes, you know, part of the process is that I will be willing to engage with them in a dialogue to, to forge consensus that will move the ball forward for the most people. Now let's talk about one of those areas of common ground potentially. This Israel aid package, standalone Israel aid. The reporting is that there will be a vote hopefully Thursday. Is that the timeline you're looking that, at? That I'm hoping Thursday. And it looked like 14.5 billion is the number that you're looking at. And you suggest that maybe you'll get a bipartisan vote here. I sure hope Do so. Do you have any sense of the number of Democrats who you think might come? I hope that it's most or all of them. I mean, there's a few people who have philosophical differences on that and will have their opposition to that. But look, this is a matter of good versus evil. How is it going to be paid for? Um, we're going to be releasing that here shortly, but um, we, we, my intention and my desire in the first uh, draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for the IRS, building and bulking up the IRS right now. They have about $67 billion in that fund, and we'll, we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need. We'll deal with the rest of that issue later. Do you think that will drive away some Democrats in the Senate even or here in the House? It may, but my intention is to call uh, Leader Schumer over there and have a very uh, direct and thoughtful conversation about this. I understand their priority is to bulk up the IRS, um, but I think if you put this to the American people and they weigh the two needs, I think they're going to say standing with Israel and protecting the innocent uh, over there is in our national interest and is a more immediate need than IRS agents. Yeah, you know, Emily, I also interviewed his wife, and we'll air some of that later on, um, but his wife, Kelly, said she was praying during this whole three-week chaotic debacle. And I said, were you praying for him to be speaker or praying for a way out of this? And she said, I was not praying for him to be speaker. <laughs> it was kind of thrust upon him. And what struck me is this is a guy who is humble. He is not seeking power, like so many of the politicians and probably the media figures you watch. And he had a real calmness about him and a real serenity, like someone was guiding his path and he knew there was a way out of this for our country. And he wants to partner with Hakeem Jeffries, not on principle, but he sees a man with a good heart on the other side of the aisle. Which is so evident from your interview with him. His answers, so common sense, so rooted in faith, and yet packaged in this reasonable, soothing delivery that actually restores my faith that maybe Congress can now get something done with him at the helm. That indeed there were larger reasons for him assuming this position, and no, it's not going to be diluted or somehow polluted by the far left characterizing him in uh, really unpalatable terms and um, shapes. And it struck me that you described him humble, joyful, kind. That's what struck you about this and that he wasn't seeking power. So can you speak a little bit to the humility inherent in who he is? It was honestly shocking. I have been around a lot of politicians. I've been around a lot of senators. I've been around a lot of congressmen and women. And oftentimes you'll see people who are short with their staff You'll see some good people, but you see people who clearly have ambition on their mind. You see it in their answers. It's so carefully crafted. It's like a mannequin politician. When I spoke to him, Harris, I saw someone 
who was just, he said at 3 a.m., that beautiful speech he gave on the House floor that I've heard a lot of positive things about across the country. He said he jotted it down at 3 a.m. It was a message on his heart. He didn't even have time to prepare the speech. It came from someplace deep. He very much wants civility. He very much wants to take us to a place where we put aside the hot rhetoric and we work together as Americans. Yeah, mm. he sees a chance. He sees an opening now to change the conversation from hate to love. And that is amazing. I, I would say a couple of things about him. The left is going to try to marginalize him along the lines of religion. Look, look what's happening on campuses and even on Capitol Hill among some of those on the left in the House, Rashida Tlaib and others. Um, they, are, they are marginalizing people of faith. That is about being Jewish. This is about being Christian. And if you think anti-Semitism will stand alone, no, it won't on Capitol Hill. It'll be anti-Christian. It'll be anti-anything that is opposite of where they want to see the country in terms of globalism and, and disarming us from our faith, the same way that they've tried to do with schools. I would say that. And also, his focus now is on something other than all the fighting and all of that. Remember, he has the least experience compared to a speaker since 1870. That actually might be a good thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that could be a blessing. Yes. And, you know, he did take me into the congressional prayer room um, that does exist in Congress. And George Washington can be seen on a stained glass window on his knees in prayer. He said he will begin every morning as House Speaker in that room. I know Mike Johnson. Those of you that are regulars on the show, you know that he's quite a guy. He's quite an individual. And he's not cut from the normal template of what we think a politician at that level is about. He's just a guy, and he's a father, he's a husband, he's an attorney, a really good constitutional attorney, but when you hear him in these interviews, you hear the manner of his speech, the way he talks, he doesn't get animated. He smiles all the time. That's just the way he is. Before I even really knew him, when he was running for Congress, I knew who he was and he knew who I was. But we weren't buddies. And twice when he was campaigning, we went to the same restaurant at the same time. And he made a point. I didn't look at him. I didn't smile at him. I didn't try to talk to him. He got up both times and came over and shook my hand, asked me how I was doing, asked if he could talk to me for just a little bit. And both times he wasn't talking about anything about his campaign. He wanted to know about some things in which we were mutually uh, a part of, and they had nothing to do with politics. He's just a guy. Now, let me tell you this. Last night, uh, we had a big Halloween family deal, and it was, it was really fun. We had probably 20, 20 people, maybe 23, 24 in our family, we were all in one house and dressed up the babies and our little girl that's right now laying here on the console looking at me, Olivia, our uh, four-pound Yorkie, she had on her sorceress outfit, including some sunglasses. And babies were coming to the front door, trick-or-treating and all that kind of stuff. One of my close, close friends, I won't give you his name, I've... Uh, I've spoke of him before on the show. He is a former FBI field director. In other words, he managed several big offices around the nation in the FBI. And 
He said, do you know, because he knows Mike as well, he said, do you know what is happening to him? His whole life has changed. And I hadn't even thought about this because, not just because he's a congressman, but because he happens to be the second in secession to the presidency. He can't go anywhere alone. He can't fly commercial. There's a jet assigned to him. And because of where he goes and the speeches he makes when he goes somewhere, it has to be cleared at the White House. Now, why is that? Secret Service. I never thought about that. And this guy told me that he has, from the very first day when he was elected to be House Speaker, he has 50 people that are involved in him directly in any decisions that are are made about him going somewhere, anywhere. He can't fly commercially to go home. It's crazy how much it's changed him. And let me tell you one thing about him that you may not have heard. He is not a wealthy man. He's not. In fact, the last, I looked at his last financial statement, I think before this term. So it would have been his last term. He had a negative net worth. (laughs) That meant with all of his debt and he's got a big family, kids in school and all that kind of stuff. He's a regular guy. And maybe, just maybe, what you just heard Kaylee and the other people on uh, the Midday Fox show saying about him, maybe he is just a breath of fresh air for Americans. But this guy, he's about getting the job done. And it's going to be interesting and fun to watch him. We have so many other things to get into today. We've got to get to the Middle East. And we're going to do that. You're not going to believe what was found overnight. Found, literally found, that had been in the hands of Hamas. I'll tell you about that. We'll bring you up to date on exactly what's going on and what happened overnight that shocked a lot of people. And it really floored me about this thing going on in the Middle East. We got a long way to go today, so buckle up. Back in two. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Our puppy's okay. He's a shooting star, okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh, okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's okay. Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Okay. Like little John. Okay. I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, then finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free.
If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available Pro Trailer Backup Assist. If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength, military-grade aluminum alloy body. If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. You know, one of the most important things anybody must do if they're going to have conflict with any individual or one country to another country, you got to figure out who your enemy is and what they're all about. And so in this conflict, we can't call it yet really a war, but it's got all of the makings of being a full-blown war. In fact, as a, as a matter of uh, explanation there, the Houthi rebels, which are one of the proxies of Iran, they're from Yemen, they declared full-grown war against Israel late yesterday. I don't know what that means, but I know that it's got a lot of people shaken up because we don't know what Iran is really going to go to, what ends it's going to allow for it and its proxies to go to, to destroy Israel. And that what's, that's what this whole thing is about. But anyway, in all of this, we found out yesterday something that just shocked me to the core. They found on a Hamas terrorist who was shot and killed, was in possession of a manual that contains instructions on how to build what is being described as a cache of chemical weapons. Now, this is coming from the New York Post. It's a seven-page manual. It's actually in writing. It was found in a memory card of a GoPro camera that was recovered from the body of this terrorist. So what are the ingredients of this um, chemical weapon that they're looking at or we're talking about? Apparently, they got kind of serious about it, and they may have it because they have a manual. Among the ingredients cited are, and you may not know what these are, I know what potassium is, but I don't know what potassium permanganate is. I know what pure acetone is. I know what hydrogen peroxide is concentrated sulfuric acid and hydrochloric acid with the manual providing a step-by-step list of how to create the diabolical chemical weapon. This is crazy. The instructions then go on to give the details of how adding an ingredient creates a deadly gas and adding this chilling note, peace, mercy, and blessings of God. Now listen to where they plan on using these things. The manual suggests the chemical weapons are to be used at hospitals, shopping malls, and schools. So Israeli President Isaac Herzog recently told Sky News in Australia that the Israeli Defense Force had recovered USB drives from a Hamas terrorist that possessed instructions on how to create cyanide agents to deploy against Israeli civilians. 
A USB device found on Hamas terrorists proves that the murderous terrorist organization, they plan to use cyanide against the civilian population. There's an excerpt that's published online. I can't obviously show it to you because this is an audio podcast, but it says in it, it's official. It's official. Hamas is using Al-Qaeda materials. We're dealing with ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Hamas, the president of Israel said. He held up a printed copy of the manual. In this material, there were instructions on how to produce chemical weapons. It speaks about arson, and it speaks about various chemicals that come and produce chemical weapons. The manual was viewed by the New York Post, It's said to be different and more detailed than the documents that were highlighted by Herzog. So as of yesterday, Israeli forces, they continue to carry out a second limited ground raid in Gaza as part of an effort to target these Hamas terrorists. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Saturday described the war against Hamas as an existential battle. You're going to hear more from the Prime Minister a little bit later as we go along. Now, let me let me let me just tell you. We're getting closer and closer and almost every day we find out that the United States is way more a part of this thing already than we even knew. What do you mean, Dan? Well, let me just give you an explanation. Muslim and Arab American groups with the power to affect election results in swing states Guess what they're doing collectively? It's a group. It's a plan. They're threatening to tank President Biden's re-election chances if he does not call for a ceasefire in the war by 5 p.m. today. The National Muslim Democratic Council, which includes Democratic Party leaders from swing states like, oh, I don't know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, They promised in an open letter to Biden and Democrat leadership to withhold support from any candidate or any politician that does not advocate for a ceasefire. Concerns that Biden and the administration have been too pro-Israel are growing as Joe continues to pledge his support to Israel during their war with the terrorist organization Hamas. We pledge to mobilize Muslim, Arab, and allied voters to withhold endorsement, support, or votes for any candidate any candidate who did not advocate for a ceasefire and endorse the Israeli offensive against the Palestinian people. That's in the letter. We will mobilize increased voter turnout to make our voices heard. The state of Michigan in the 2020 election was decided by a mere 2.6% margin and holds 16 crucial electoral votes. We emphasize the significance of Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, Florida, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, where many of our voters reside. Our would be radical Muslims. And the letter continued, we call on the White House to urgently advocate for an immediate ceasefire. Your administration's unconditional support, encompassing funding and armaments, 
has played a significant role in perpetuating the violence that is causing civilian casualties and has eroded trust in voters who previously put their faith in you. So now, what have we been watching, listening to, working on now for three years regarding the Biden administration? Corruption, financial corruption. Several times on this show, you've heard me say, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's straight from the Holy Bible. The love of money, not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. People in politics, when I was a kid, teenager, even after that, probably up until the middle of the 1990s, the big thing that everybody was after was money. Money makes the world go round, and it keeps you in power as a politician. I heard that over and over every time there was a big election coming up. It was all about money. But at the turn of the century, things changed a bit. Money, sure, it's still important. But you know what? There's a way to get all the money you want whenever you want it or need it. And if you get control of that, then money never becomes an obstacle. It's there instantaneously. What is it? What are they looking for? What did they morph in the mid-90s from money, money, money to get more? Power. Political power and might gives you control of everything. So it's not just money. You have power to, I don't know, threaten people. Because you, in whatever role you're in, you apparently have more power than people do that you have something on. Use your power. Turn your power into whatever you want to turn it in and use. And we're seeing this play out on a national, international stage right now. Just a moment ago, I got a text and I saw the title of the text. And I want to I want to go to it really quick. Hang on with me just a second. I got to go back and find it. Here we go. There's news out this morning, just minutes ago. Biden received forty thousand dollars from family after Chinese payments. This is from the Oversight Committee, Washington Examiner, doing the story. Let me let me just read it straight. President Biden received $40,000 from his brother's wife shortly after a Chinese company sent money to the Biden family, according to bank documents published minutes ago by the House Oversight Committee. That payment is the second piece of direct evidence to suggest Joe Biden profited off the business of his brother and son despite years of denial. James Biden had worked with Joe Biden's son, Hunter, on a business deal. Here we go again. It's that Chinese conglomerate, CEFC. They formed a partnership that netted them and their partners millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. So how did this all come together? Well, it came together with power. And then the money comes. Sarah Biden is James Biden's wife. James is Joe's brother. 
she appeared to write the $40,000 check to Joe, which she labeled as a loan repayment shortly after receiving an influx of money from CEFC. And this all happened August of 2017. The Biden family members and their associates planned to enter a joint business venture with CEFC in the months after Joe left the vice presidency. Hunter and James, along with former associates Rob Walker, James Gilliar, would together own half the new venture. Yi Ming, the chairman of CEFC, would own the other half. Tony Bobolinsky, another former business associate of the group, was slated to serve as the chief executive office of the venture. We've heard all these details, and now, show me the money, it's happening. And so, how does this play into what you're talking about now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I'm going to make a prediction. At some point, we're going to get, somebody's going to give us, we're going to find it. I don't know. It's already out there, and there are people that know it, but just haven't come forward. There is almost a certainty that we are going to find cold, hard facts that shows Joe Biden when he was vice president and after that. And of course, maybe even before he was vice president and was still in the U.S. Senate. He has, and his fellow members in his family, regarding politics for 50 years, have been known to be the people in government that manipulate power to get money constantly. Why do you think they pointed toward Ukraine? Well, of course... Joe Biden did it because he was vice president and President Obama sent him to Ukraine, named Joe to be the envoy for the U.S. to keep Ukraine straight. Why is that? Ukraine's been known for decades as the most corrupt, financially corrupt country in Europe. So if you're a thief, if you're somebody that wants to uh, manipulate money and you have some power, What's the obvious thing to do? Use your power to get more money. And Joe even bragged about it. Bragged about it. Blackmailed the former Supreme Prosecutor of Ukraine. Blackmailed him. Was going to withhold the $1 billion loan guarantee the U.S. was going to give to Ukraine for them to use for their own business. Joe blackmailed him and then bragged about it. We've heard it over and over and over again. That prosecutor was investigating the company Burisma Holdings that Hunter Biden was working for. Burisma was the largest energy company in Ukraine and the most corrupt. But he was investigating Burisma. You can't do that if you're Joe Biden's son. Even if Joe Biden was just vice president. You can't do that. But he did it. He leveraged it. And if Hunter didn't get anything more out of it, Burisma paid him a million dollars a year in salary just to serve on the board. So what is this we're finding out? The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, we just stepped aside. We were talking about the Middle East, Israel, 
Hamas. Let's go back to it. Oh, by the way, you can bet your bippy power begets money, and there's power and money involved in everything going on in the Middle East. Yesterday, Ted Cruz introduced legislation that will impose sanctions on members of Hamas, also its affiliates, and countries that have provided funding and safe harbor for these members of Hamas. The U.S. should use every resource of our disposal, including our diplomatic power and sanctions leverage for as long as it takes, to be sure that our Israeli allies are able to utterly eradicate Hamas. That's from Texas Cruz, Senator The legislative proposal, Cruz, it comes after Hamas terrorists attacked Israel. The Biden administration authorized hundreds of millions of dollars to be sent to Palestinians. Cruz said his measure, the Hamas Sanctions Act, is the first piece of legislation to comprehensively target Hamas. Instead of countering Hamas and its enablers, The Biden administration has spent the last two and a half years indirectly and even directly funding them. How so? Remember that money thing bubbling around over there. The administration poured hundreds of millions of dollars into the Gaza Strip, despite knowing this would benefit Hamas terrorists, and then allowed roughly $100 billion to flow to the Iranian regime, which they knew the Ayatollah would pass along to Hamas. Yesterday, listen to this now. Here's another thief in the night. Somebody that's very two-faced, maybe three and four-faced. FBI Director for uh, Director Chris Ray. Yesterday, he said Iranian-backed assassinations of U.S. officials recently have been thwarted on U.S. soil. He added, by the way, one of the greatest terrorist threats Americans face today is from violent extremists inspired by Islamic groups, including Hamas and others funded by Iran. The administration also refuses to enforce sanctions against Hamas for terrorism, for the use of human shields, or against those who violate terrorism sanctions and provide Hamas with financial and material support. That's part of Cruz's bill. The bill would end these catastrophic policies, prohibit the administration from allowing more funds from flowing to Hamas and Iran, and in the ability to provide Hamas leaders with safe haven in violation of sanctions. So, the great evil, the dragon, in the middle of all of this, there is no question who it is. It's not Russia. It's not Vladimir Putin. It's the Ayatollah, the Ayatollah in Iran. They're the ones at the root of everything that's happening over there. And yes, the Houthis yesterday from down in Yemen, Islamist jihadists, they formally declared war on Israel. What's the relationship between the Houthis and Iran and the Ayatollah? (laughs) They're one and the same, just like Hezbollah and Hamas and several other Islamist not for profits if there is such a thing. This bill that Cruz has entered would impose sanctions 
on Iran's ghost fleet of oil tankers. I didn't know they had them, which Cruz says the Iranian regime has used to raise $80 billion under the Biden administration. Sanctions would also target tankers' owners and operators and require the Biden administration to decertify and deflag Iranian vessels. What else is in the bill? It would block Hamas operatives' ability to find safe havens abroad, including in Qatar, Turkey, and others by imposing sanctions on hotels, on landlords, banks, and similar businesses in allied countries that provide service to Hamas leaders. It would also require the federal government to determine if countries harboring Hamas operatives would qualify as state sponsors of terrorism. Now, any other president since Ted Cruz has been a U.S. senator, that would be, um, I think he was elected senator at the end of Bush, but I know for sure he was a senator during the Obama-Biden years. Just imagine back then how much of this stuff, how much of what's going on around us, I mean, it's just one new chapter every day, more fear, more slaughter, more threats, more declarations. And it's not just from Hamas. It's coming from everywhere now. They see the United States of America as is in its weakest condition that anybody alive today almost can remember. And what do bullies do? And every one of those organizations and states that we're talking about are bullies. They're not honest. They're not hardworking. They are perpetually finding ways to get an up on anybody that's opposite of them in the way they think and operate. Any country leader, you think they're afraid of Joe Biden? No way. And then I mentioned, as part of this, Christopher Ray, our FBI director. And he's coming back now. He's coming back now after this whole thing is well underway. Well, one of the biggest threats the American people are facing today are terrorist attacks from within. We've got all of these terrorists on our watch list that we're finding out have come in during the last few years. A couple of hundred of them. We know they're here. Do you think they're over here for a vacation on the Redneck Riviera, Northwest Florida? Heck no. They're over here doing what terrorists do. And nobody should be shocked that it's happening. You do understand that this president and people in his administration, knowing that Hezbollah has a massive military training base in central Mexico and has for years. Did you know that? Hamas has one as well. It's not quite as big and as elaborate as Hezbollah's. But why would these two countries, these Muslim Islamic jihadist countries, why would they want to have these located in central Mexico of all places? Mexico's not a country they want to take over. You can book it. There's only one logical answer, and we've known about it. Christopher Ray, FBI director, he's known about it. And what is the role of the FBI compared to the role of the CIA? The CIA is supposed to keep us 
it out of harm's way regarding anything happening United States related overseas. They have no formal jurisdiction domestically. Things in the United States. That's the FBI's responsibility. And so Chris Ray, he sits there in testimony yesterday. I watched a little bit of it, and I just shook my head the whole time through. He talks about the threats that are faced by Americans, and he's part of the problem. If he was a real, committed FBI director, he would have been over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue before Joe Biden took the oath of office and laid out, Mr. President, Here's the threats domestically that are out there today and they're elevating themselves every day. You need to be prepared. We need to make some definitive action and implement that action to stop this from ever being another 9-11 or something worse. I don't think Chris Ray had that conversation. I think he's kind of been keeping it in his back pocket pocket as a chit that he can use whenever it's politically advantageous for him. And I think now the Americans are waking up slowly, but the American people are waking up and they realize we've got some real issues. And when you have real issues, what do you have to have to get through those real issues? Real leaders. And OMG, we have an empty suit in the White House. And I'm being kind when I say that. I'm not denigrating our president. I respect the office of the presidency of the United States. And I pray for Joe Biden every day. I know you're probably saying, how can you do that? I do it because I'm a Christian. And in the Bible, we're told to give respect and we're told to pray for those in positions of authority over us. No matter if you like him or don't like him, no matter what your politics are, he's the highest elected official in the nation. We're supposed to support him, even though we don't agree with what he's doing. We'll get our chance to make a change November next year. That's where we make our changes, but until then, he is the guy. And if you're a Christian, I challenge you. Pray for Joe Biden every day. Besides, he really needs some help. Physical health, mental health, emotional health. He needs to be confronted with the facts of all of the bad stuff he's been involved in. And oh, by the way, I think it'd be a good idea for him to step down before something bad happens physically or he gets booted out of office. I think that would be smart. But it's not going to happen. You know why? It's Joe Biden. It's Uncle Joe. That's who's there. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, oh, yeah. Who's us? Supermodels? What are you model gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? 
better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. I told you Chris Ray testified yesterday, and Senator Ron Johnson, he is one of those people that figures very heavily in the investigations of everything to do with Joe Biden, his uh, son Hunter, and the Biden family syndicate, and he went nose to nose, Ron Johnson did, with Chris Ray yesterday, and it was about principally about Hunter. Johnson read some excerpts of a letter that Republican Iowa Senator Chuck Drastly wrote to Ray and Attorney General Merrick Garland, which alleged the FBI engaged in political bias related to Hunter Biden and the investigation there. Johnson said this, and I'm going to quote him. The problem I have is I simply cannot trust what the FBI is providing me, and I don't say that with any joy in my heart. That's a travesty. The American people want to believe and have trust in the FBI. We want credibility, integrity restored to the institution. But, Director Ray, you've not done that since you assumed the directorship of the office, and I can go through a long laundry list of reasons why that trust has been violated. I don't have it right now. But I'm happy to sit down and meet with you and go over these things in detail. But I would say, because ask me, What can we do to restore trust? Start being transparent. Ray disputed Johnson's claim regarding the public's distrust of the agency by arguing there has been a large increase in those applying to be special agents. He said the agency carries itself with integrity and professionalism as well as selflessness and rigor. I do not accept the characterization of our performance in this particular case, Ray said. And Johnson went through. He responded, that's not how I characterized it. I'm talking about partisanship at the top with some specific partisan actors. I said the vast majority of the 33,000 are people with integrity. And the idea that I... As a Republican appointee, I'm a lifelong Republican. I'm biased in the way that you're describing. Makes absolutely no sense, the director said. Johnson got right back in his face. I'm happy to read your chapter and verse of all the reasons why that credibility has been destroyed. And here's just a few of them. Two whistleblowers with the IRS allege 
the DOJ slow walk criminal investigation into everything to do with Hunter, taxes, money, all those things. Grassley's letter to Ray and Garland in July demanded the information about whistleblower allegations claiming the FBI downplayed Hunter's criminal financial and, and related activity. And we've all seen and heard all about it. I That's why I said a little bit ago when we were talking about Christopher Ray, he's not a public servant. He's not. If he is, he would be as transparent as is possible. But what he does every time he gets before a committee of Congress, doesn't matter if it's in the Senate or the House, he sticks his nose up in the air and he always has the throwaway phrases that get him out of answering any questions. I can't discuss details of an ongoing investigation. You know that, Mr. Senator. And they tr- he tries to diminish everyone, every elected member that asks him questions. He tries to demean them. And you know why? This is a atmosphere instilled in the highest level of our government by Joe Biden or whoever's calling the shots. And I think as we watch and listen every day and see Joe Biden in action, he ain't the guy. Somebody else is behind the curtain and is playing Wizard of Joe, not Wizard of Oz, but Wizard of Joe. We're not at a place now where we need to know who that is. We just need to stop it. We need accountability. Oh, and then to make matters worse, Alejandro Mayorkas, he's in the same hearing. And he was asked the same old questions that he's asked every time he comes before Congress. And he always, he disagrees with the questioners because every questioner is asking the same questions and you and I have been asking for two and a half years ourselves. What the heck is going on at our southern border? You spent a year and a half telling us, oh, the border's secure. Listen to what we've done down there to make it better. It was so bad when we got it, which is horse hockey. It was in the best position as far as stopping illegal immigrants than it had been in decades when Joe was elected. Trump is the one, by the way, that initiated that. And he just doubled down and tripled down. Same kind of approach, but probably a little more arrogant talking than was the FBI director. Americans are getting sick of this. We're tired of getting lip service. And we're tired of seeing everything coming out of the White House being a bull-faced lie. And most of it is. Do you know Joe Biden is still out on the trail bragging about Bidenomics? Did you know that? I've got a story. I got right now is a perfect time. I got to find it real quick. You're going to laugh when you hear this. Come on, Dan. I don't have quick fingers today. (laughs) I can't believe it. I can't get my hands on it. Anyway, we'll get into it another day. Just letting you know, we're $600 billion short of the revenue. I'm talking about tax revenue 
that the Biden administration was expecting this year, fiscal year. $600 billion. You know what our, you know what our um, deficit is this year? $1.7 trillion. $1.7 trillion. Now that has nothing to do with the dollars that we spent. We always get a budget out of Congress. They have to prepare it. The president has to put his uh, stamp of approval on it. And then it goes to the Treasury, and they operate supposedly from the budget. Janet Yellen told us, we're in great shape. Man, money's coming in. We don't have any problems, any of that kind of stuff. It's just news. It's not true. She's the one that told us we were going to have a budget surplus. We're upside down, upside down, one point something trillion dollars, 1.7, I believe. 1.7 trillion is the number. And they just slightly overestimated the tax revenue the government was going to get. They overestimated it by $600 billion. That's not a little boo-boo. And there's only one explanation for why we have that big deficit anyway. Tax increases. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. If you raise taxes, that means there's going to be more money coming in. Well, where's that money coming from? Those big corporations and evil multi-billionaires. These are the people, I say this all the time, put this, stamp it on your forehead. Rich people, corporations, don't pay taxes. Those are the people that have Congress members, both House and Senate, that they fund campaigns for. And what do those people do when they get elected and take office? They are the ones that craft the laws and instigate the regulations on financial things, like tax breaks. As far as corporations go, corporations never pay taxes. If they do, all it is is taking that amount of money out of their left pocket and sending a check to the IRS And then however much money they send to the IRS, they stagger it out across the goods and services that they sell, and the taxpayers pay it. So who's getting the shaft in all of this? You and I, not the politicians. The American people are paying the price. Whatever the price is, we're the ones that are paying it. Now you want to hear another little piece of irony in the testimony from Christopher Ray yesterday, he's always, uh, the consensus in the Biden administration is the most dangerous threat in the United States is white supremacy across the board. Well, guess what? You and I have always known that's not the case. How many white supremacist riots happened since Joe Biden has been in office? How many white supremacy terrorist actions have happened Zero. But those 500 plus riots that took place the summer of Joe's first year in office, who did those? Who orchestrated those? 
Do I need to tell you? Well over three-fourths of those involve Black Lives Matter. Are there any threats coming to the American people from that sector of our society? Not according to Chris Ray. But he did change his tune a little bit yesterday. He said that since the start of the Israeli-Hamas conflict in Gaza, multiple foreign terrorist organizations have called for attacks against Americans and the West, significantly raising the threat posed by what he described as homegrown extremists. The actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. He was referring to the terrorist organization, also known as ISIL, I-S-I-L, that captured swaths of Iraq and Syria in the 2010s before we deployed troops into the region to combat the group. The number of attacks on U.S. military bases overseas by Iran-backed military groups has risen this month, he said yesterday. Cyber attacks against the U.S. by Iran and non-state actors will likely worsen if the conflict expands. But he told members of the Senate that currently there is no information to indicate that Hamas has the intent or the capability to conduct operations inside the U.S., though we cannot and do not discount that possibility. Not one senator, not one, would ask him, so, Mr. Ray, what is the existential threat, the one, to the American people? Of course, he was probably ready in hand to reply as he always does. White supremacists. But he made us feel warm and fuzzy. He said, this is not a time for panic, but it is a time for vigilance. You often hear the expression, if you see something, say something. That's never been more true than now. That was so deep and inspirational to me. I'm sure it was to you. I'd go into what Alejandro Mayorkas said, but you've heard it all. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth verse, it's the same thing. Oh, we're doing a great job down there. Yeah, we've got more people coming in, but what that means is we just need more money so we can take care of them. You know what New York City's doing? All of those people that are choosing to go from the southern border to be bussed up to New York City, you know what they're doing now? They, they don't want to house them. They say they can't. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the Big Apple is big. They've got places to keep these people. And after all, they're a haven for migrants. At least they've told us that for years. They're buying one-way plane tickets for these illegals. When they get to New York, they'll take them out to the airport and fly them back to where they came from. Not making news, but that's what they're doing. One senator yesterday, as he always does, got a Mayorkas's grill. That's Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri. He got after Mayorkas, put him on the spot, and he demanded answers about allegations that DHS agents were pulled from very important cases involving drug and human trafficking and assigning them 
to perform menial tasks in the service of illegal aliens. Hawley confronted the Biden regime, whatever you want to call (laughs) Comrade Mayorkas, over information from a Homeland Security investigation whistleblower who said that hundreds of agents had been taken off important cases and sent to the border to deal with the migrant crisis, with some being assigned to make sandwiches for the new arrivals. Are there HSI special agents who are currently at the border having been pulled away, Holly asked him? Listen to Mayorkas' response. Combating the fight against fentanyl, yes. Telling the GOP senator he'd be pleased to provide him with the information after being pressed for the number. Why would Mayorkas come to the hearing knowing he would be asked that? And I got to go get the number. I'll get it to you. That's not what the special agent is alleging. That's not what she said, Holly shot back. She said that they were being taken off fentanyl interdiction, taken off child exploitation cases, off their other investigations into criminals, to make sandwiches. That's a quote from her. You're saying this is a lie? She's wrong? Of course, Mayorkas, who's an attorney on his own, he's a Cuban immigrant. Oh, by the way, he's here legally. But anybody else doesn't have to do that. Just give him a phone call. He'll open the door. He tried to duck giving Hawley a direct answer, saying that there are a number of law enforcement priorities. And Hawley just shot back. Is making sandwiches one of them? Of course not, Senator. We accomplish a tremendous amount, Mayorkas said. And he continued to avoid answering the question. Making sandwiches for illegal immigrants. Is she wrong? Hawley kept going. This is one of your agents. Is she wrong? She says there are 600 at least special agents pulled off other cases, sent down to the border to babysit illegal immigrants. Is she lying? Mayorkas again wouldn't answer the question, blabbering on that DHS employees are utilized, quote, to achieve the maximum law enforcement objective possible. That is what we do. And of course, you and I both know there's only one job they have. One, one, one. Enforce the laws. Make sure everybody that you encounter at the border, around the border, you enforce the laws. He won't admit that. He just tells everybody, we're doing such a great job. We're being told to shut down investigations to go hand out sandwiches and escort migrants to the shower and sit with them while they're in the hospital and those types of tasks. The whistleblower who was identified as a special agent said. Holly told Sean Hannity that Mayorkas should be impeached. I got my hand in the air. I don't know about you. When you systematically mislead the American people and lie, as you said, lie and lie to Congress and the American people, you're not doing your job and you should be removed. We're going to jump back over there in just a second to Hamas and the goings-on in the Middle East. We're going to do that. Gosh, we've got so much ground to cover, and we're struggling to get it done. But we've got some things you've got to hear. Facts matter. And we're being told a bunch of stuff is factual that's not. More answers straight ahead. (laughs) 
Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin', bacon and cheddar, or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate, we make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. You're driven all night. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a Dare Ice Coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta Coffee Kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A Dare Ice Coffee Fix will fix it. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? Oh. It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. Getting tired of only spin while looking for just the news? No spin, just truth. Read and hear it every day on TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Well, is it going to get any better, you think? <laughs> That's a great question. This mess regarding all of our very uppity college institutions, Yale and Harvard and Carnell, pretty much every one of them, they're getting exposed for everything they are and what they're about. They're getting what they deserve, in other words. Yale Daily News, that's their newspaper on campus. It's an independent student newspaper. Yeah, right. And the oldest college daily in the U.S. They've retracted their editor's notes that targeted a pair of recent pro-Israel columns after a big backlash. The editor's notes took issue with statements in both of those columns that Hamas raped women, calling them unsubstantiated claims. Now, let me just jump in here and tell you, I get sent all kinds of information, stories, pictures, columns. Some are really good, and for those of you that you send them all the time, please keep on. We search for factual verification of all the things that we bring to you. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it's difficult to do because if you're a conservative, known as a conservative news outlet, you're going to be downgraded by 
your political opponents, your counter in your business that's of the liberal. They call it progressive. There's nothing progressive about democracy in the Democrat Party. There is no such thing as democracy in the Democrat Party. But that's a story for another day. And it's hard to do, so please keep sending them. My email address is dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. So at Yale in October 12th column by a Yale student, Sahar Tarak, titled, Is Yalies for Palestine a Hate Group? It was hit with an editor's note without Tarak's initial knowledge, and it read, the note did, this column has been edited to remove unsubstantiated claims that Hamas raped women and beheaded men. Another column published the 13th of this month, titled Stop Justifying Terrorism, similarly accused the terror group of raping women during the October 7th attack on Israel and also had an editor's note added. The news was wrong to publish the corrections, the newspaper later wrote on Tuesday. By the time the first correction on October 25th, there'd been widely reported coverage from outlets like Reuters publicly verifying that Hamas raped and beheaded Israelis. There have been multiple reports that Hamas terrorists committed rape during their rampage. Israel released footage of one captured attacker who said they were given permission to rape the corpse of a girl. That's according to the Times of Israel. Oh, there's your reason, Dan. It's an Israeli newspaper. Of course they're going to slant it that way. NBC News, not a very conservative news outlet, would you say? They reported signs of rape in videos of the attack presented to journalists last week. Military forensic teams in Israel also said they found signs of torture and rape among the victims, according to Reuters. On top of that, Shani Lauk, a German-Israeli citizen who was kidnapped by Hamas, paraded unconscious on the back of a truck. As seen in footage of the October 7th massacre, I've seen this. I see it myself. I have it on my computer. She was discovered dead and beheaded, according to Israeli government officials. The Yale newspaper wrote that it failed to ensure that the columnist statements were properly cited and attributed during its editing process because at the time of the column's initial publication, those specific forms of violence during Hamas's October 7th attack were not independently confirmed by the cited source. And of course, what they did, what the Yale newspaper did on October 7th, they published the opinion given to them by Hamas. And it went worldwide. And then, of course, we had that horrible rocket explosion killing 500 innocent civilians in that hospital and it was those evil Israeli IDF people that did it, right? And the world went nuts. First of all, the rocket never hit the hospital. It fizzled out in the parking lot. There were some people that were killed, but none of those people were killed by anything that Israel did. 
the rocket was a misfire by Hamas. And of course, before that was ever, quote unquote, confirmed, the world went on fire, anti-Israel, all in for Hamas. They won't say that. It's the Palestinian people. Let me ask you this. Do you know how all this began? Do you know anything about the Palestinian people and how they got to Gaza? They didn't have their own country, and they don't right now. I guess you heard that. They don't right now. Let me tell you a little bit about how that happened. The Israeli people owned the Gaza Strip, all 25 miles of it. It was there. It was an amazing place. I've seen videos. I've never been to the Gaza Strip. When I went to Israel early this year, we did not go to Gaza for lack of time, but it is right on the Mediterranean. They had resorts built there. I mean, world-class resorts. The economy was roaring. Israelis were building villages, kibbutz, all over Gaza. And the Palestinian stuff, it started up again. It's never quit, but all of the chaos. Again, the fundamental thing is it all stems from they don't believe Israel's have the right to exist. And so they said, look, here. And Israel gave them Gaza. The Palestinian leaders, not the terrorists, the leaders. And things were really cool. The Palestinian people were happy. Gaza City flourished. The Mediterranean properties there were flourishing. They were able to grow their own crops. It was a great place to go, 25 miles. And they were happy to get it. But guess what happened then? Those Palestinian people, they let Hamas nose their way into the political process there. And before they knew it, Hamas was in total control of every part of it. That's when the fences and the border crossings were put up because of the history of crazy actions taken by Hamas against Israelis. They wanted to make sure that they had to stay on their side in the Gaza Strip. They couldn't come out and have free reign to go anywhere they wanted to in Israel. They don't tell people that. That's history. You can find it, go confirm it for yourself. More and more of this stuff is going to continue to come out. And by the way, the worst raping and beheading that I have in video, and I will never pass it out because it is atrocious. I almost threw up when I watched it. An 84-year-old woman, Jewish woman, was tied up and put on the trailer. It looked like the trailer behind a, uh, some kind of SUV. And driving down the street, they had her tied up and bound. And members of Hamas were up on the, the trailer this thing was on. They had her in a standing position, and they just started beating her. And then one guy publicly raped her. And then a little further down the road, it's about a five-minute video, a little further down the road, another guy jumps up there and shoots her in close range. 
and killed her. Hamas terrorists were screaming and hollering just like a bunch of animals that they are. And one guy, right at the end of it, he reached up and grabbed her head by her hair and cut off her head and threw it out on the street. Say what you will. Think what you want to think. Facts get in the way. And facts sometimes, oftentimes, are very uncomfortable. So this morning at 9.56 our time, I get this bulletin coming out of the Middle East. Hamas chief Ismail Haniyeh has accused Israel of committing massacres in the Gaza war to cover its own defeats. That's his word, defeats. Haniyeh, whose terror group launched the bloody October attacks, they've already killed more than 1,400 people and sparked the Gaza war. They're accusing Israel of committing barbaric massacres against unarmed civilians, unarmed civilians. Its villainy will not save them from a resounding defeat, he vowed in a speech broadcast by Al Jazeera. Hania said that ahead of the October 7 attacks, Hamas had warned that Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and his fascist government will continue their contentious policies. Netanyahu's coalition includes extreme right ministers who live in settlements in the occupied West Bank that are deemed illegal under international law. The Hamas leader cited the expansion of Israeli settlements in the West Bank settler violence and attacks on holy sites. The self-exiled Hamas leader also said there will be no regional stability unless and until Palestinians obtain their, quote, legitimate rights to freedom, independence, and return. In other words, they want what they want, and they will accept nothing less than that. It wasn't good enough for them to be given that 25-mile strip that they so desperately wanted along the Mediterranean. They want Israel gone. Now, what about that word return that he used? Well, the question of return refers to descendants of the 760,000 Palestinians who fled or were expelled from their homes during the war with Israel in 1948. And the war accompanied Israel's creation. So today, Hamas has claimed Israel struck the Jabagia refugee camp for the second time in two days. This is after an attack yesterday killed at least 50 people. Pictures from the site show dozens of Palestinians searching through the rubble for survivors. Jordan has recalled its ambassador to Israel over this war. Jordan of all places. Jordan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced the move, added that its foreign minister had instructed the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs not to send its own ambassador back to Jordan after they left two weeks ago. They can't even get along with each other. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to do. So what is Hamas all about? Really, when it comes right down to it, what's it all about? I know somebody who weighed in on it, and I heard him give the explanation, and I thought it was salient, the perfect thing for you to hear today. Victor Davis Hansen. 
on Hamas. Listen closely. No one wants to see a four-year-old Israeli boy taken captive and then have a video made of young uh, Gazan children kicking him and calling him a filthy Jew and trying to ridicule, torture him. The attitude is, whether it's fair or not, is you can't, do, you can't work with these people as long as Hamas is there and there's going to be collateral damage. But they asked for war, they wanted war, and now they're going to, to get war. I think that's the attitude. And I, I hope that they pull back. I'm not sure that they, they're so accustomed to us being appeasing that they don't realize that Westerners have this traditional trait that they take it and take it and take it. And then when they, you get a, a particular point, they kind of go berserk. And I hope that doesn't happen. But if they continue to do this, it's going to happen. I, I don't think that Iran or Hamas or Hezbollah quite understand that when you go into a village of villages, kibbutz, a country, and you invade that country at a time of a holiday and you deliberately massacre women and children, and then you, almost as if they're Aztec cap, captives taken up to Temporal Major, it was so horrific and horrifying that I think everybody just said, you can't deal with these people. And I don't think that Hamas represents all of the, the Gazan people. I don't believe in collective punishment, but that said, the images that we got here in the United States of captives that were almost like they were in a Roman triumph in a Jeep or they were, they were ridiculed and almost a spontaneous crowd spitting on them and yelling and we want more of them. And you never got the impression that Hamas was, was facing public outrage from Gaza. There was celebration at what they were doing. And I don't, I don't think they understood that, but when you see that unrestrained celebration and you see some of it in the United States and around the world among expatriate communities, that only furthers this anger. It doesn't assuage it. It doesn't make people say, oh, I we better pull back. These people are very angry at us. It has the opposite effect. If you think you're going to get away with that, you're sorely mistaken because people will fight you and they'll win. And uh, that's why this it's very important that Iran not get a nuclear weapon. If they had a nuclear weapon right now, it would be disastrous. And I think, I think people are going to think about that in a way they've never thought about it before in the next few weeks. And it's going to be, it's going to be some tough decision-making. I think people in the West have to rally together and say, the idea of Iran with a nuclear weapon, it cannot be deterred in, in a way that even North Korea can be deterred because it has an instinctual existential desire to destroy Israel and the Jewish people. And we cannot let that happen if we're people ourselves. And I think that'll... I, I'm confident that we'll rise to the challenge. If we don't get our house in order and really make some real changes in the way we're operating, not just overseas, but at our southern border, do you know how many, do you have any clue how many fentanyl pills came across our southern border this past year? These are the ones that they caught. Just take a guess. How many individual pills? These are the ones that we caught. One trillion fentanyl pills. That's not enough for this president to make his people that work for him enforce the rule of law and do what the law says. You know that thing he swore an oath to January 2021 when he took his oath of office going to support, protect, defend the Constitution and lead the nation 
and enforcing laws that the people's representatives passed. That's the only thing that makes us totally different from Hamas. Well, we're not barbaric people. We don't slaughter people. No, we don't, but we have leadership that just ignore the laws willy-nilly. No authority to do it, and they're not being held accountable for not doing it. That's another story. Let me give you an example of how crazy this is getting. A U.S. citizen, somebody from our country who's leading a 5,000-strong caravan of illegals into the United States has gone viral for dropping a truth bomb about Joe Biden's incompetence. This is a U.S. citizen, 5,000-strong caravan headed this way. Speaking with one news agency, activist Arenio Mujica, who defines himself as a human rights defender, excoriated the Biden administration for having dropped the ball on illegal migration and allowed itself to be used by other nations. He said, I believe the Biden administration has dropped the ball on immigration. A lot of the countries are fueling this immigration by providing a way, transporting people, letting people in, and using them as a way to make sure that a lot of this immigration goes straight into the United States. This is actually happening. In an interview, the interviewer asked Mujico whether he thinks illegal migration is being weaponized against the U.S., and he replied saying, yes, definitely. It's being weaponized against the United States, against the Joe Biden administration. Joe Biden's administration has lost the ball, has lost the power in America, and America has not been paying attention to what's happening. Mexico is ganging up with all the countries to make sure all this immigration goes straight into the United States. Every country has been providing the rides, charging them $20, $30, $40, and then just keep pushing them in, pushing them in all the way to the Mexican border. Then when they get to the Mexican border, you don't have mass deportation. All they do is hold them up, weaponize them, and let them go and make sure Joe Biden gives them money. This is real. This guy is telling the truth. I guess maybe because he's an American and he's doing this, news media are covering it. He continued his stern lecture by advising the president to stop forking over money to countries like Mexico so that they can ostensibly fix the illegal migration crisis. And and this is, I I just don't understand this reasoning. He said this, as an American citizen, I would say do not give Mexico or any of those countries that are completely irresponsible with immigration, don't give them a penny. Biden administration has lost the ball and doesn't know what to do with immigration. And he's lost a lot of power. He hasn't even called the countries even into sitting down, making sure that he finds a way to stop this immigration, this bleeding. He's lost the ball. He's not doing anything. Well, he's done nothing but assign Vice President Kamala Harris to track down the so-called root causes of illegal migration, something that has involved her traveling to other countries and giving them money for what appears to be nothing at all. 
nothing at all. It's just, and, and, and let me just give you a comparison of how lunat, much lunacy there is going on right now. There is a big Supreme Court case going on right now, and it has to do, it's a trademark case. And in the context of the Middle East, the wars there, Houthis have already formally declared war against Israel last night. We've got people dying. We've got beheadings. We've got people firing on us and our military men and women at military bases across Syria. Everybody in the world is flexing their money to go up against the great Satan, the United States of America. And then we have this case going on. Let me tell you about it. Supreme Court is hearing today arguments over whether the Patent and Trademark Office violated the First Amendment Why? It refused the registration of a political slogan on T-shirts that criticizes former President Donald Trump without his consent. This is real now. This is a Supreme Court case. At the heart of the case is the question, when First Amendment protections end and the right to privacy begins, when a trademark contains criticism of a government official or another public figure. This all happened back in 2017. Steve Elster, a politically active Democrat attorney in California, wanted to get the phrase, Trump too small, Trump too small, printed on T-shirts to sell. The phrase originated from an exchange on the 2016 debate stage between Trump and Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. The Florida senator made a crude joke in reference to the size of the former president's hands. But when Elster sought to trademark the slogan, he was denied by the Federal Trademark Office. And the Trademark and Trial Appeal Board upheld that decision because the mark identified Trump without his consent. The decision was reversed then by a federal circuit court noting that Elster's trademark goes to the heart of the First Amendment and held that the government has no plausible interest in restricting speech critical of government officials or public figures in the trademark context. The DOJ arguing on behalf of Catherine Vidal, Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property, eventually appealed the case to the Supreme Court, arguing that the Lanham Act, L-A-N-H-A-M, Lanham Act, which is a federal statute aimed at protecting intellectual property and trademark designations, gives the trademark office constitutional authority to block Elster's trademark request. When registration is refused because a mark consist of comp or compromises or comprises a name identifying a particular living individual without his or her written consent, speech is being restricted. No one is being punished, the DOJ's petition to the high court says. Farah Sunders, partner at international law firm, Darcy and Whitney says, despite outward appearances, This case is really not about Trump or the size of its policy or his body part sizes, 
Will this decision restrict speech, namely political criticism in a time where the country's so divided as the 2024 candidates are starting up their engines? The trademark applicant, Mr. Elster, would have us believe that, yes, that is what is at stake. Can you believe with all of this stuff going on, all, we're dealing with a trademark case taking up the United States Supreme Court's precious time when we have so many things there under consideration. I guess that just illustrates the insanity of America. Talked about binomics a little bit, I guess, in the last half hour. I wanted you to hear this. This is eye-popping when it comes to what's going on with binomics and how vapid our president is when he talks about it and what he does. So they announced the openings of new chip manufacturing plants with none of the minerals to make the actual product. They say that they're going to make sure everyone goes green, except most people can't afford the cars. We've got half a million Americans ready to default on the cars they already have. So the Bidenomics is not working. The energy policies are not working. And you've got bankrupt Americans looking at a 29% hike in Wyoming, but even here in New York. They just raised rates uh, two months ago, uh, 10%, and we're looking at another. Uh, rate hike here in New York as well. So any way you want to slice it, they've shut down Indian Point in New York, the last uh, in the last downstate nuclear plant that we had here, providing the bulk of that energy to the tri-state area. So the policies are not working. The American people are suffering, and more important, national security is impacted when you realize we don't have the power uh, to power ourselves. And Joe Biden there emptying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when we're on the brink of not one, not two but three potential foreign wars. There's a whole lot of truth in what you just heard. It was very quick. That was in less than one minute. But that guy hammered on some really stark facts that we've had shoved down our throats during the 2020 campaign. I mean, before the election, we heard Joe Biden, when he did bother to get out on a campaign stage and talk to anybody or debate Donald Trump, his opponent, he bragged about stuff. He said things that were so outlandish, but there were millions of people that actually listened to what he was saying and believed it. You remember his push for electric cars, green energy. He took it to a whole different level, green energy. And when he got elected, whoever's pulling the strings, they started crafting legislation and not the kind that goes through Congress, the kind that comes across a president's desk in the form of an executive order, something that they try to use often to sidestep something they know they will not get passed constitutionally in the Congress. And most of this green energy stuff and the billions of dollars the Biden administration has thrown at it and thrown at it, not because it's a good, very exhaustively vetted something that the American people should consider. Oh, no. It was to pay off contributors, campaign supporters, and climate change fanatics. And then last week, <laughs> last week, we played a compilation coming out of our Sky News Friends headquarters in Australia with a massive trove of real climatologists and 
our temperature on the earth has actually gone down in the last decade. Have you heard anything about that? It's a published scientific fact. I looked it up to make sure it was. It is a fact. It went down a quarter point in a decade. But if you listen to the crazy climate folks out there like John Kerry and now Joe Biden, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow Congress people in the squad, they all think we're all going to die. You've got to send the government money to make sure that we can get out of here safely. And I don't think when we die, we really give a hoot of what happens after that because we're gone. We're done. I don't know about you, but every day I just get caught up in this stuff and I shake my head all the time. I can't believe there are actually Americans who are, are believing this that are signing off on it. I thought George Soros, this is another one. I thought he was going away. He turned everything over to his son. Well, maybe some of it or most of it. He is now one of his groups that he supposedly turned over to his boy is targeting Kentucky Attorney General, who is a gubernatorial candidate, guy named Dan Cameron, who happens to be a black Republican. And he's running an ad campaign disparaging Cameron as an Uncle Tom. Black Voters Matter Action Political Action Committee, which the FEC filing show received millions from Soros' super PAC. They've been running radio ads on a local R&B station describing Cameron as Uncle Daniel Cameron and accusing him of betraying his race by declaring this, quote, all skin folk ain't kin folk. Does that sound like a political slogan or what? What's up, Kentucky? It's election time. And all skin folk ain't kin folk. Over the past few years, we've taken the streets to demand racial justice, health care, and the right to make decisions about our body. And now, Uncle Daniel Cameron is threatening to take us backwards. It sounds like we're just going in the right direction, doesn't it? I want to be. I don't think so. I don't know about you, but I'm not there. Hey guys, it's a wrap on Wednesday. Thank you for being here. This show will go up online live in just a matter of minutes. If you missed part of it, go grab it from your favorite podcast site. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m.